Hello and welcome to the end of the worst month of the year, February. I really hate February, Joseph. I hate February. There's only two good things about February. Two good things. Groundhog's Day and today. The last day of February! Bring on March. I, I guess I like it every four years when you have the 29th. Okay. I, I was planning, though, taking the 30th and 31st of this month off. I think you're going to be successful at that. You think so? I think so. Uh, so I am really happy to a bit adieu to this month, February. Goodbye, February! Adios. And hello, I am Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I'm Denver 7's pedestrian advocate Joseph Peters. My friend, there are a lot of sidewalks shut down in interesting places in this city. Why is that? Construction. I mean, there's just cranes blocking some of these sidewalks completely. So what you wind up with is in between three city blocks, which is the distance between crosswalks, uh, there's just sidewalks that are closed. And there's implied crosswalks. Oh, what I, I like the implied crosswalk. Where right. it's not really a crosswalk, but you're taking your life into your own hands by right. trying to cross the street, right? Not officially a crosswalk, but this is where people will be crossing the street. Nice. Yep. Well, that'll be really good come snow time. Because really, March and April around here are the snowiest months. Yes. We get more snow that time than any other time of the year. And so it always mixes well with construction season because you can't, well, nobody will plow those sidewalks or shovel them. Well, they'll shovel them, but they'll be like piles of snow in inopportune places. Yes, but but that's the good thing about the spring snow is that it comes in, in these buckets, but then again, it's gone in the next couple of days because it gets so warm again. Mm. So there you go. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, before we get into the big transit story of the week, uh, here is something that might make our transit system a little more enjoyable. Classical music on the train. A subway operator in central Tokyo started playing classical music and healing background music inside some of its trains on a trial basis. It's very lovely. This is the second time they have played music. The first time they accidentally played music last July and received positive responses from their passengers. So a total of six musical pieces, including this piece from Chopin, Chopin are played during the daytime with uh, the volume level set a little bit lower than that of a train announcement. It's nice. Relaxing. I like it. I want dance train. Oh, that's a whole different kind of thing. Yes. See, with this, you want to take a nap on the train. Dance train. Dance train, good for short trips. <laughs> Classical train, good for very long trips. Why don't they have then yoga train, exercise train. Exercise train is a good one. Netflix train. <laughs> Jungle gym, you just climbing around the walls. Yeah, like American Ninja Warrior train. That would be an interesting train. Yes, it would. All right. When you hear the term media bias, Joseph, I bet that puts you a little bit on edge. I think of Channel 9 News in Denver. I see bias in the media on both sides of issues, <laughs> whether it be left, right, rich, poor, up, down, Channel 9, Channel 7. And here is a great example. This, this story is a great example of that bias. It's a big transportation story of the week, and it came out on Sunday, but all the news stations ran it on Monday. And it's by Steve LeBlanc, and he's with the Associated, uh, the Associate Press there in Boston. As I read Steve's story, try to imagine Steve as an advocate for mass transit and someone who thinks most people should find a way to ride buses or trains and not drive, basically no matter the reason. So Steve writes, one promise of ride-hailing companies like Uber and Lyft was fewer cars clogging city streets. But studies suggest the opposite. 
that ride-hailing companies are pulling riders off buses, subway cycles, and their own feet and putting them in cars instead. Let's stop here for just a moment, shall we? Now, most people who use the rideshare like Uber and Lyft aren't the same people who are going to ride on the bus or train. There might be a few that are riding on a train from, let's say, the suburbs into a downtown area, then riding their Uber and Lyfts, let's say, maybe to a lunch meeting, cross town for whatever kind of business they might want to do. But for the most part, you're not pulling people from the transit and putting them in the rideshare. It's not the way it works. It's usually the people that are going to give up their own car they don't have a car they're going to give up they're going to leave their car at home so they can use the ride chair whatever the case may be maybe because parking's too much in a downtown area um but for the most part that's the way it works right they're just giving up the convenience of driving themselves for the convenience of having someone drive them right ride share really isn't hurting public transit in many ways it's actually complementing it now the story continues and in what could be a new wrinkle, a service by Uber called Express Pool now is seen as directly competing with mass transit. Uber and Lyft argue that in Boston, for instance, they complement public transit by connecting riders to hubs like Logan Airport and South Station. But they have not released their own specific data about rides, leaving studies up to outside researchers. This is <laughs> this was another thing in this uh, overall article. Uh, where they the, the, in this study, it was done, and they were all torqued off that Uber and Lyft aren't giving any data that they have collected about their ridership and, and how many people they're taking around uh, and giving it to, let's say, the government so they can do their own studies. Okay. So that's, that, that, that's where that line comes from. But this is where this story gets, gets really good. And the impact of all those cars is becoming clear, said Christo Wilson, a professor of computer science at Boston's Northeastern University, who has looked at Uber's practice of surge pricing during heavy volume. Quote, the emerging consensus is that ride sharing is increasing congestion, unquote, Wilson said. One study includes surveys of 944 ride-hailing users over four weeks in late 2017 in the Boston area. Nearly 6 in 10 said they would have used public transportation, walked, biked, or skipped the trip if the ride-hailing apps weren't available. So in other words, let's go back to 2010. Let's go back, I don't know, 8 to 10 years when ride-sharing wasn't a thing and see how people would have gotten around. Um, I can actually t speak to this. In Las Vegas, Uber and Lyft were introduced in about 2014. And at the time, I lived a mile from the grocery store. And before Uber and Lyft were in town, I would just walk to and from the grocery store and carry my three bags, four bags, whatever, back with me. And after Lyft came in, I would take a Lyft that last mile distance so I didn't have to carry my groceries anymore. There you go. So it was super convenient, but I was also adding a car to the road because I wasn't just walking my sad self to and from my apartment. Now, they, they say that nearly 6 in 10 would have used public transportation. But what did the other four do? I, I bet they either drove their own car or took a cab. That's probably what they did. They didn't just go run on the bus. My guess is they drove their own car. So how about that sentence could have been written this way, in a more objective way. Like roads around the Boston area are a little less crowded as 4 in 10 people opt to leave their car at home and take rideshare instead. I mean, can't you do it come at it that that with that angle? Yes, absolutely. But that's not the way they did. The reporter Steve LeBlanc with the Associated Press in Boston never broke down what percentage of the 6 of 10 would have used the public transport. He lumped the group together with bike riders, with people that would walk around, and those who would have stayed home. 
He did not separate them out. You, you can't do that as an objective reporter without bias towards the transit, can you? No, I don't think so. I mean, it, it, I think it's somewhere on the page you have to show all of these different things next to each other. And he and, never and did. The, the pie chart, if you will. Now, the story continues. The report also found many riders aren't using hailed rides to connect to a subway or bus line, but instead as a separate mode of transit, said Allison Felix, one of the report's authors. I think that makes sense, right? I mean, like, why why would you pay for a lift five bucks to take you to a bus station when you can pay 12 and just get to where you want to go? Exactly. And you don't have to pay the bus fare and you don't have to wait for the bus. Unless you're paying, let's say, it's 10 bucks to get out to DIA on the A-line. And it takes you $3 to get to the Union Station or one of the stations that's close to you, or for, let's say, $5, instead of the $25 or $35 it would take to go from, let's say, downtown Denver all the way out to the airport. So That's about the only example I could think of. But, like, we live a mile from Union Station, and as a result of that, we would take Lyft to Union Station to get to the airport. But every time that situation has come up, we've just... (laughs) <laughs> called the lift and had them take us to the airport and paid the extra money. And part of that is because the A-line is so expensive in this city that if you're paying for tickets for two people and you're paying for the lift to get there, yep. it's the same price. You can just take the lift all the way to the airport and save yourself the hassle of riding the A-line. Well, this person, this author, Allison Felix, says, quote, ride sharing is pulling from and not complementing public transportation. So she first says that people ride, use rideshare from place to place and not to the bus or train line, but then asserts that rideshare is pulling from the public transportation. I, I, look, again, most people uh, are, are using rideshare not as, as a way to get to the tri- public transportation. They're using it around it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're looking at to really ditch public transportation, as, as, as you said. They, they would rather drive themselves or take a cab. If they're forced to, they, they might take a bus, but they would probably take... Uh, any of these other forms of transportation rather than getting on the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, mo- most people find public transportation to be a pain in the butt, frankly. And if you just happen to be on a route close to where you're starting from or going to, and you're not really going anywhere else, you don't really have a, a hard time constraint. If you have more uh, a looseness about your daily schedule and about your life in general, I suppose, it could be a worthwhile choice to just go ride on the bus. Well, I think... You have to be going somewhere where it's a real pain in the neck to have a car, right? So Coors Field, Mile High Stadium, those are the two places that you would absolutely want to take public transportation to. But there's not a public transportation option that gets you very close to either one of them. No, door-to-door service is a hell of a lot easier. Yes. I mean, that's just, let's face it. All right, back to the story. Uh, That's not quite what Uber founder Travis Kalanick suggested in 2015 when he said, quote, we envision a world where there's no more traffic in Boston in five years, unquote. This is Steve's attempt here at balanced reporting by, by putting in a, a dissenting view that's a quote from the founder of Uber from three years ago. Don't like it. If Steve was actually trying to be objective, then he would have requested a current statement from Uber and use that, not find a quote from years ago that's supporting his narrative. All right, back to the story. A study released in December found that a large increases in the number of taxis and ride-sharing vehicles are contributing to slow traffic in Manhattan's central business district. It's recommended policies to prevent further increases in, quote, the number of vacant vehicles occupied only by drivers waiting for their next trip request, unquote. In San Francisco, the study released in June found that on a typical weekday, ride-hailing drivers make more than 170,000 vehicle trips. 
about 12 times the number of taxi trips, and that the trips are concentrated in the densest and most congested part of the cities. What he didn't say right there, Joseph, was that 170,000 personal vehicles are not on the road thanks to ride-sharing services. Mm-hmm. Yay! Why didn't we applaud that? Right? But instead, we're going to say there's 170,000 ride-sharing trips that just happened in obviously not that many vehicles, in a lot fewer vehicles than 170,000 um, vehicles. Right. So where is that in the story? It's not. It's true. All right, he continues. And a survey released in October of more than 4,000 adults in Boston, Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, Seattle, and Washington, D.C., also concluded that 49 to 61% of ride-hailing trips would not have been made at all or instead by walking, biking, or public transit if the options didn't exist. So doesn't that make the point clearly that ride-sharing services are a great way for people to get around? Yes. It, it does right there. Absolutely. Clearly the services are in high demand. Yes, it's obviously a benefit to those people who want to go from place to place, from door to door, quickly, efficiently, easily, and without a whole lot of money. The next sentence proves my point. He says, the Boston study found that the main reason people opted for ride-hailing was speed. Even those with a public transit pass would opt it for ride-hailing despite the higher cost. Yes, because it's more efficient, and it isn't that what we all want. Efficiency. Ease. Even when it's like not necessarily more efficient, like if you're right next to a bus stop and you could just step outside, take the bus, and get off at your destination, the ride-sharing app feels like you're getting there fast right you're in a car you're going straight to the destination there's nobody there to distract you from that could uh, couldn't i write then a story saying that americans are wasting x numbers of billions of dollars using public transportation because it's less efficient than using ride sharing services don't we always see those kind of stories that we're wasting however many billions of dollars uh in gas and maintenance and and uh, our time because of congestion on the freeways? Of course. That's that's what we're here for, the Driving You Crazy podcast. Now, back to the story written by Steve LeBlanc. He's with the Associated Press in Boston. He says, Sarah Wu, a graduate student at Boston University, uses Uber less than once a week, but more often if she has guests. She lives near a subway line, but will opt for Uber if it looks like public transit will be a hassle. Quote, I would prefer to have the Uber take me there directly rather than having to transfer several times and wait at a bus stop, unquote. Said Wu, who doesn't own a car. Hey, there you go. Sarah is the voice of the people. Explains exactly why people don't want to ride on public transit. And why it is hurting so bad. She doesn't own a car. Lives next to the train. But for her, it is still a hassle to get from point A to point B. Because she has to take several buses or trains or whatever to get around. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more efficient for her and easier to take the ride chair. Now, a spokesman for Lyft stressed that ride hailing could reduce the number of personally owned cars on roads. Quote, Lyft is focused on making personal car ownership optional by getting more people to share a ride, helping to reduce car ownership and partnering with public transportation. Unquote. That spokesman Adrian Durbin setting, saying in a statement, Uber is hoping to wean drivers from their cars in part by encouraging its carpooling services, spokeswoman Alex Anfang said. Uber's long-term goal is to end the reliance on personal vehicles and allow a mix of public transportation and services like Uber, Anfang said. 
Uber's new Express Pool links riders who want to travel to similar destinations. Riders walk a short distance to be picked up at a common location, dropped off near their final destinations, essentially how a bus or a subway line functions. Yes, but it's still going to be more efficient and cleaner and, and, and stop fewer times than a bus would. And if, generally, it's going to be more pleasant to ride in somebody else's car, even with a few other passengers that you might not know, than it will be on the bus with a lot of passengers you don't know. Now, the story continues. The service was tested in November in San Francisco and Boston and has found enough ridership to support it 24 hours a day. Round-the-clock service was also rolled out last week in Los Angeles, Philadelphia, Washington, Miami, San Diego, and Denver, with more cities to follow. Quote, this could be good for congestion if it causes vehicle occupancy rates to go up, but on the other hand... The Uber pool rides, and I guess these express rides, are really, really cheap, just a couple of dollars, so they're almost certainly going to be pulling people away from public transport options. Why get on the bus with 50 people when you can get into a car, and maybe if you're lucky, you'll be the only person in it, unquote, Wilson said. That was, again, Christo Wilson, this professor of computer science at Boston's Northeastern University. I don't know how that makes him an expert in Uber and Lyft. Do you? Uh, Those are apps. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah. Consume, consume computer science? Mm-hmm. All right. So in a, the story continues. In a study released in October by the Massachusetts, Massachusetts, I can't say that word at all, Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority, as many as two-thirds of transit users reported also using ride-hailing companies. A report released this month by San Francisco Bay Area Rapid Transit found ridership down disproportionately on weekends and off-peak hours, in part ride-hailing trips. The MBTA is focusing on what it can control, pumping money into its new trains, buses, and infrastructure improvements, spokesman Joe Pesaturo said. So San Francisco's vision here is let's put as much money into making transit work as possible and damn the consequences if it doesn't work so be it exactly even though more people want to use lyft during those hours and we see that they're still going to pump more money into running these trains yep and 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 here lo and behold in the last paragraph of the story is a different viewpoint joseph hey oh he writes at least one study did not pin increased congestion on hailing services seattle-based firm Inrix scoured data from 2012 to 2015 in London and found the number of passenger vehicles, including Uber cars, remained the same or even dipped slightly. Reasons for increased congestion include a surge in road construction and delivery trucks dropping off online purchases. There you go. Oh, so it's the online delivery. Yes, that it are is. Oh, it's unbiased yeah. reporting from Steve LeBlanc it's with the Associated Press in Boston. Not Uber and Lyft. It's Amazon. Yes, it's of a, course it is. It always is, and Walmart now that they're doing delivery. Tisk tisk. And the main problem with anything written by the AP, and you know this, is that those stories, once they're written and once they're sent out, they go to all the TV stations, all the radio stations, all the newspapers pick them up, all the online news outlets pick them up. Most of them print them as is, and so you'll see the same story throughout all those publications throughout the world, really, because of that one story written that one way. Yes, the AP is the news. It is. It really is. All the local coverage was the same. I, I was asked to comment on Monday morning during our 6 a.m. newscast, and, and I mentioned what, what this is really about, uh, having the problem with public transit and the first mile, last mile problem, and that people want more choice and convenience, like we've been talking here, and really that's what the story should have been more about. Um, 
but they were the way it was. I was brought in. Well, are we are we really more congested? Well, no, not really. It's just it's a compliment, but it's right. it's hard in twenty five seconds that I have to uh, ha- give a rebuttal to this to explain that to people that are just trying to get ready in the morning and and just finish their last cup of coffee. Well, and at the end of the day, congestion is really about your diet and what you're eating more than the amount of cars on the road. <laughs> Thanks. I was also bugged that nowhere in that story did he cite the exact study. So of course, me being me, I went looking for it. And it's a study called Fair Choices, a survey of ride-hailing passengers in Metro Boston. It was funded by the Barr Foundation and the Boston Metropolitan Planning Organization and published on the Metropolitan Area Planning Council website. In the executive summary, the paper says, In an effort to begin filling the gaps in our understanding of the ride-hailing industry and its users, MAPC, surveyed nearly 1,000 ride-hailing passengers in late 2017 and asked about their demographics, the nature of their trips, and why they chose ride-hailing over other modes of transportation. The results confirm many common assumptions about ride-hailing users. They also provided striking new insight into the ways that the services are changing travel behavior and affecting our existing transportation system. Not surprisingly, the survey found that most ride-hailing users are under the age of 35, that most of them use the service on a weekly basis, and that most don't own a car. Less predictably, we found that reported rider incomes are similar to the region overall, and that substantial number of trips are made by people from households earning less than $38,000 a year. That's fascinating. Because you would think that Uber and Lyft are more, mostly for the higher-end demographic, right? Like right. That jumps to mind because you're essentially paying for a taxi, and most lower-income people would prefer are, are more likely to take public transportation. For that not to be the case, I just think it's really interesting. But they're also saving money because typically these people don't own a car. They're living in the urban environment. They're living in a downtown area. They don't make as much money, so they probably don't have the money to buy a car, keep the maintenance, have a place to park it, all those sort of things. So they use that money instead on their ride sharing and getting around. And again, for them, it's a little it, it's worth the extra money to have the extra convenience to go from point to point and 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 get there safely and 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 easily and, and be able to use the app. Well, and especially if you're not doing it very often. I mean, if you're only using Uber and Lyft once every two weeks, then no, it's not going to make a huge dent in your budget, no matter what your income range is. Right. So back to this executive summary, it says the survey results also provide some hard data about the types of trips made via ride hailing. Most trips start or end at home but nearly one-third are from a non-home location to another, probably to work. Ride-hailing usage is distributed throughout the day. The evening hours from 7 p.m. to midnight see the greatest frequency of trips, so folks going out. About 40% of weekday trips take place during the morning or afternoon commute periods, those people that might be opting for rideshare other than public transportation. People also like to travel by themselves. Only one-fifth of of customers opt for a truly shared ride like Uberpool. Riders are willing to pay a substantial premium for the convenience and predictability of ride hailing. Nearly two-thirds of trips cost more than $10, and one in five costs more than $20. Again, people want convenience to be by themselves, and they don't want to be with all the other people on the bus. Right, and are totally willing to pay surge pricing at two in the morning rather than have to wait at a bus stop. Well, and I think the seven to midnight figure is really about people either going to or coming back from bars and being responsible and not uh, drinking and driving. 
Correct. And those are passenger vehicles that we are glad are no longer on the road. Exactly. So here we finally get to the meat of the basis of this AP story. While the services are justifiably popular, their growing use may result in negative outcomes for traffic congestion, transit use, and active transportation. There's your sentence. There is the basis for the AP story. When asked how they would have made the current trip if ride hailing hadn't been an option, 12% said they would have walked or biked. 42% of respondents said they would have otherwise taken transit. Some of this transit substitution, air quotes there, takes place during rush hours. This was in bold, this next sentence. We estimate that 12% of all ride-hailing trips are substituting for a transit trip during the morning or afternoon commute periods. So how do we go from that sentence to all the way saying that all of these ride-sharing companies are clogging our roads and causing more congestion? Bias. 12%. That wasn't in the AP story at all. Right. It continues. An additional 3% of riders during these same times would have otherwise walked or biked. 3%. 3% would have walked or biked. Again, that figure wasn't in the AP story. Overall, 15% of ride-hailing trips are adding cars to the region's roadways during the morning or afternoon rush hours. 15%. There you go. Yeah. There's your basis of your of your story that you are saying that the roads are more clogged now and blame the ride-sharing companies for all that extra congestion. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. But nobody's but that reporter could have easily did what I did and then put that in the story and and, and change the narrative, but of course they're not going to do that because it doesn't support their narrative. I mean, we go back to the headline of the article. It says studies are increasingly clear. Uber, Lyft congest cities. I mean, let, let me read that last sentence from this study one more time. Overall, 15% of ride-hailing trips are adding cars to the region's roadways during the morning or afternoon rush hours. 15%. Right. You're, we shouldn't be celebrating that. No. I, I think this is the reason that the study link, or, nor any of these actual numbers, were ever included in the AP story because the numbers aren't supporting the headline. But 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 this next sentence from the study is where they get to their sub-headline in the AP story. Quote, Ride-sharing is pulling from and not complementing public transportation. Now, this sentence reads, Those who ride transit more often are more likely to drop it for ride-hailing even when doing so at a huge cost differential and even when they have already paid for transit. After accounting for transit pass availability and substitution options, we estimate that the average ride-hailing trip represents $0.35 cents of lost fare revenue for the MBTA, which is the Metro Boston Transit Authority. I mean... $0.35. Cents. Nobody's going to shed a tear that they're losing money, right? No. It's, it's not costing really transit significantly in lost revenue, especially since their transit company or uh, charges, just like they do in Chicago... Every ride share a fee of twenty cents to go back into the transit to recoup that that cost. Well, so really, they're losing. They're, so really, cents. they're losing fifteen cents. Yep. right there. So it it it's it, it, it's so frustrating when you read stories like this and you finally start to break it down and you can see that the narrative that that the story started out with can't be supported by by what the actual facts are. Mm-hmm. So. Choice and competition. Basically, that's what drives markets. Choice and competition. We have choice, and we have competition, 
and that's what it, that's what happens. And we choose Lyft and Uber, clearly. Here's another sentence from the executive summary uh, of this study that, that proves this. It says, it is essential to ensure that the region has a reliable and effective transit system that, from the rider's perspective, is competitive and complementary to on-demand mobility services. For transit to thrive, it must change perhaps by incorporating the types of on-demand responses and real-time information that riders value. That's what this world is. The world is about knowing what's happening right now. You can look on your on your phone and see live feeds of all kinds of events happening right now. You're getting your Twitter updates of things that are happening right now. You don't want to wait. People don't like to wait. No. They don't want to wait for the bus. They don't want to wait for the train. They want their ride-hailing car. They know that it's going to be here in three minutes because when you set it up, the car is going to be there in three minutes. You can watch the car coming down the street, and then you see it get to where you are. You get in the car, and then you can watch yourself drive to your destination all on your app while you're in the car. It really is. Just, I mean, it's just like that. That's what people want. Yes. So if you want to get the bias part out of the executive summary – and more of the basis for the AP story. You'll find it in the last paragraph of their executive summary. It says, Ride hailing is already having a substantial impact on congestion and transit revenue, the costs of which are not recouped by the small surcharge. A higher fee would provide more resource to to mitigate the negative effects of ride hailing without substantially affecting rider costs. Now, in Boston and other cities, they, they charge that 20 cent fee uh, and other places are looking at increasing that fee. Now the executive summary continues. It says even more preferable would be a fee structure proportional to the impacts of each ride on the transportation system. So to, a tax. Yeah, base exactly. No, but it would be a fee because nobody likes the word tax, but they're okay with the word fee. Like here in Colorado because of Tabor, which is our taxpayer bill of rights, uh, all the taxes, any increase of taxes has to be approved by the citizens by a statewide vote. However, fees do not. That's why fees are so substantial in uh, the state legislature, and that's why they put fees on everything, because it doesn't have to go through the same legislative process, a voting process, to the people. That's a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> if, you, if, you're putting a per- if you're saying, I'm taking this percentage of what you paid and charging it to you, that is a tax. That is literally how yes. a tax is defined in the dictionary. Yeah, but they'll call it a fee yes. to get around it. All right, so, this, so it continues. It says, to the extent possible, such fees would also be structured to incentivize shared trips, thereby re- therefore reducing overall impacts on the transportation system while also accommodating ride-hailing preferences. Of course, effective policy requires better data about when, where, and why ride-hailing trips are taking place. Only by understanding the current adoption of ride-hailing and on-demand mobility can we plan for its successful and sustainable future. The recommendation to the city of Boston by, by this place, by this whole thing, is to tax more, or fee more, as we, as we say, so you can get people to ditch the ride-share and get more people on the buses. Again, it's a perfect example of what we just talked about. Tax what you want to get less of and incentivize what you want to get more of. You want to tax the ride share, so get people out of that, and you'll incentivize them to get on the bus, and you'll get more of that. I mean, I don't think this piddly little tax is going to prevent anybody from using Uber or Lyft, though. That's what's most interesting about it, is that it's a tax that... I will go to pay for some very nice things. If you figure ride-sharing is going to become more popular, I think of my parents who don't know what Uber and Lyft are but need taxis from time to time and would like them to come directly to them. 
once that generation starts using this and this technology is more ubiquitous, I think those fees will go to pay for transit improvements in other ways that really do serve as a complement to the ride-sharing services. It, at what point are they going to tax it out of existence? They can't. I mean, they could try. They could. Uh, I could see in cities like New York, in Boston, maybe Philadelphia, in the more real congested cities, where they say that these ride shares are contributing to the congestion, which we just pretty much showed they're they're not. Um, let's say the fee is two fifty a ride. Let's say it's five dollars a ride, maybe ten dollars a ride. At what point there is going to be a tipping point, and at what point is that? Well, I think you do have to make it a percentage because you can't charge $5 on a $5 ride. And those exist in the world of Uber and Lyft. But what you certainly can do is make it a 25% tax. So let's say a $20 ride is now a $26 ride or something to that effect. Then you really are having a totally different conversation because that is is enough to make people say, oh, wait a minute. Right, exactly. So you got to find out what that balance is. Now, in their conclusion of the study, they say it's essential to examine how transit could become both more competitive with ride hailing as well as more complementary. Greater integration of modes and services is essential to keep transit riders from shifting more heavily to ride hailing and to introduce ride hailing users to transit. This could be done through integrated mobile apps and unified platforms for payment, scheduling, and routing. Public agencies could explore joint marketing efforts that promote the advantages and flexibility of using ride hailing and public transit together, e.g. the first mile, last mile problem. Mm -hmm. In in addition, there must be significant investment in the MBTA system, that's the Metro Boston Transit Authority system, to make public transportation as competitive as a service. So what I see them saying here is basically you use your app in conjunction with the transit app. So Uber will take you from your house to the train and then you're off your off you go and then you use that same Uber app as you're continuing your service uh, and th- there's an Uber waiting for you at the last stop that you're getting off and then takes you to your work or wherever the case may be. So you're not just standing there waiting for another one or waiting for another one. Maybe it's more of a seamless trip. And that's what it seems like they're trying to do here is combine the two services, maybe pay Uber or Lyft a little bit of money to get people to the transit. And you're going to, you're going to, that, that maybe would justify a higher quote unquote fee uh, that has to be paid to the transit authority. I like the idea of testing out this first mile, last mile theory and just seeing how much time it adds to your trip. Like if it's really as seamless as, as they say it will be, or if you wind up waiting, taking an extra 10 minutes, 15 minutes right. to get from point A to point B. Because it still seems like once you get in the car, the ride sharing car, still easier just to go all the way to your destination and not worry about having to get out, get in the train, get to another car, get in that one and then get out again. Again, in their conclusion, they make the assertion that the transit is good and ride-sharing is is bad, mm-hmm. or at least not as good. But it's also nice to see they believe that ride-share addresses the first mile, last mile problem. And, and my prediction, really, is going to be that ride-share is going to be expanding and growing. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. It's already grown so much to this point, and more companies would have liked to do it, but Uber and Lyft are, are obviously the, the big ones. They're the ones who are going to be They're the Coke actual- and Pepsi of the... Right. <laughs> they, ride share. they matter. None of the other ones matter. RTD is already looking at increasing their fares by 6%. Other areas are looking to do the same for their transit um, authorities. 
I also see governments increasing the fee that they not only put on those ride chairs, but also in taxes to collect more money because like around here at 75% of sales tax revenue goes to pay for the transit system while only 25% of the uh, fee that is paid into the bus and trains actually pays for the bus and the trains. But they're not going anywhere unless they're going to be taxed out of existence, the ride-sharing places. Right. They're just not. Uh, and, and again, not possible for them to be taxed out of existence. One, one part of the questionnaire, though, I thought that was very interesting when I was reading through all the different questions was question number 12. And it asked, what is your main reason for using rideshare? 114 people said they can't drive. 114 people out of about 1,000 said they can't drive. Not that they don't drive, they just can't. 11%. They can't drive. 1 in 10. I mean, that, yeah, it seems a little high to me. But maybe that's the way we're going. Maybe that's the way we're going. We just don't know how to drive anymore. Some people just don't need to know how to drive. Maybe they don't. Maybe they have gone through college where they can walk around campus, take the buses. They move to a big city where they could take the transit or ride share. They don't, they, they, maybe they never learned. Right. I just, why do it myself when I can pay an expert? And why have a car if you can't drive? Yep. There you go. Shabbat <laughs> It's pretty interesting. So anyway, there, there, there you have it. That's, that's your media bias right there. And it's all laid out for you. Anyway, coming up, the funny road signs uh, that are found in northern India are pretty darn funny. They're really good. That's coming up next as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. I'm Mitch Jeldiker, and you're listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber. When I come to a story, people say, well, well, where's the camera person? And I said, well, you're looking at her. I said, that's me too. And they, they kind of throws them off. But I love having control over the video, but sometimes I will have to move my camera. It slows down the process a little bit. What's rewarding is I feel like I really get to know my subjects and I get to spend time doing it. And at the end of the day, when I look at my... It's almost like your project for the day. You created a project and then you're going to present it the next morning. You're proud of it. And having a role in that whole process is rewarding. Connor Wist, only on Denver 7. You know, if they're, if they're a breaking news junkie and they like to see um, reality and watch a family on TV and not something boring that's going to put you to sleep, I would say tune in to Channel 7. I mean, we're the first ones on breaking news. Uh, we have a very accurate weather forecast. We have very good traffic information from you. Uh, we have good anchors that work well together. And by watching it and, and getting to know everybody on air, it, you feel like you're part of the family. Daryl Orb, only on Denver 7. Can't give you what you've always wanted. But I'll always give you what you need. Welcome back to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast, where we hope we are not driving you crazy, but that you're being driven crazy by other things. Not us. We don't drive you crazy. Do we drive you crazy? Uh, a little bit crazy. Okay, good. Well, the other day I came across this story from Africa. It's called Minister of Uganda Says City Traffic Jam is Good for Tourism. <laughs> I thought that was so odd. I looked more into the story and found out that, yes, the Minister of Tourism for Uganda 
likes the daily traffic jams that are in the capital city of Uganda called Kampala. He likes them. Oh, well. Loves the traffic jams. The reason why the Ugandan State Minister for Tourism, Mr. Godfrey Kawanda, likes the traffic jams is because he has launched the Kampala Sightseeing Bus Campaign, which is aimed at promoting tourism in the capital city of Uganda. Mr. Kawanda says that even though the residents and visitors complain about those daily traffic jams in the city, he says it's also a tourism product which the city can offer. Well, we have a lot to offer here in Denver. You can go to the Rockies game. You can go visit the breweries. Some people might want to imbibe on the Bud Factories. The Bud Factories, if you will. You might want to go see Red Rocks. There's a lot of neat art museums and that sort of thing around the city, aren't there? I, I, Red Rocks is the big you one. You could also enjoy our traffic jams. Yay! <laughs> Especially if you want to get to Red Rocks. Or Coors Field, for that matter. <laughs> this guy says, instead of going to the bars or church, you can decide to stand by the road and count cars and also watch how Ugandans drive. <laughs> Ugandans know much about capital cities like Nairobi, Mombasa, and New York City. But do they know Kampala? <laughs> Jeez. Foreigners will be charged, get this, 110,000 Ugandan shillings. It's about 30 bucks uh, for this trip. Ugandans get 10,000 Ugandan shilling discount if, if they take the trip. The tourism bus will move to various tourism sites throughout the city. I guess it'll move through the city at a very slow pace, right? I, I would imagine there, may, there would be many more sites to see in Uganda. Because uh, I looked for on TripAdvisor, for some of the top points of interest in Uganda. Majority of them centered around all the different national parks that they have there and seeing the gorillas and the other wildlife in their country. All that seems much more interesting than watching a Ugandan traffic jam in the capital city. <laughs> Maybe our definitions of interesting are a little bit different. But yeah, because even so, if, if my wife and I were ever there in the Ugandan capital and happened to stumble downtown... And saw the traffic jam. I, I would probably watch for a little bit. My what's wife the, is probably there to watch. You're literally watching cars. Yeah, traffic. I know my wife. But here's the thing: my wife is probably one of the only women in the world who who would understand why I'm 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 watching it. I, I I've taken pictures of road signs. Me next to road signs. The U.S. Why I love my picture of of me next to the U.S. One, the start of U.S. One in Florida, there in Key West. <laughs> Let's go to Uganda and watch a traffic jam. There you go. Well, Georgia transportation officials are exploring the idea of a separate highway for trucks only. It would be the first highway of its kind in the United States. Genius. Yep. And the genius <laughs> it is, isn't it? Though they were talking about doing the same thing on the Eastern Plains here. The toll-free highway would stretch 40 miles from Metro Atlanta to Macon. It would give trucks their own separate roadway, which would have its own exits, its own entrances. And the reason they're looking at this in Georgia is that state transportation officials there say they expect truck traffic to double by 2040. The truck-only lanes have been proposed as a solution to reducing congestion for drivers of non-commercial vehicles on other Georgia interstates. Now, the Georgia governor, Nathan Deal, he has praised the truck-only highway during a recent Georgia Transportation Alliance meeting, calling it an important part of what our future transportation system should and would look like. <laughs> Trucks on their own road. Exactly. That's the future of transit <laughs> right there. The project estimated cost $1.8 billion. 
And Georgia would ask for federal funds, but if the government doesn't come through, Governor Deal said the project could still move forward with state money, specifically because of the state's Transportation Funding Act that was passed in 2015, and that act is paid for by an increase in fuel taxes. So the critics say the high cost is troubling. I could see that. I mean, $2 billion for a truck-only road. The U.S. Public Interest Research Group ranked Georgia's truck-only lanes among the worst highway proposals in the country. <laughs> they say that it's a gamble with a lot of taxpayer money on something we don't know is going to work. Well, it could work. So, yeah, a gamble is it's just like a gamble I saw. A guy won $60,000 in poker. He went right over to the roulette table, put it all on black, and it hit. Doubled his money just like that. Roulette is such a stupid <laughs> game. And I love roulette. I will play roulette for hours in Vegas, but I what a dumb game. The Georgia State Transportation Department study projects that the truck-only lanes would reduce delays on Interstate 75 by 40%. Many, trucker dri- many truck drivers support the idea, saying it's safer to operate away from regular cars. That's obvious. The Georgia Department of Transportation says they expect to select a general engineering consultant by the end of 2018 for this idea. And the consultant is expected to manage the project development and would ask for public input during that environmental process. Is this thing all contained to Georgia, or is yes. it? It's not an interstate highway. No, it would be a Georgia highway. Okay. So it um, would just go from Macon up to Atlanta, and and they they really have proposed. They've already done some of that out to the Eastern Plains on Highway 287 uh, that runs because there's a lot of trucks that run from Mexico up through. Uh, New Mexico and then on up through Colorado and then going farther north. No, I love this idea. I don't care if it's the worst highway proposal in history. (laughs) (laughs) I do too. I think it's a great idea. Get the trucks and separate them from the cars and and I think you'll uh, see traffic running a lot smoother. Agreed. All right, so the funny road signs of northern India. They know how to use humor there to address some bad driving habits in northern India. And there's such a problem with bad driving that the government has put up some signs to hopefully get some attention and get some compliance. Not all of these are a winner. I'll let you be the judge. Okay. So here we go. Here's number one. Don't be silly in the hilly. Uh, B minus. That could apply to some of the Colorado mountain roads. Yes. Be Mr. Late rather than late, Mr. Oh, D. <laughs> See, there's a lot of uh, punctuation in there that you got to get right. Or okay. otherwise, it reads completely different. It's like, what eats, shoots, and leaves? Oh, gosh. <laughs> a panda bear, of course. Yes. Drink and drive, you don't survive. Oh, A. I could see a that plus. on the overhead signs there on the highway, right? Well done. If married, divorce speed. <laughs> I, that's a solid B. That's not an American sign, clearly. but I'm not married one. to speed. I'm married to Gina. Right. Live for today. Drive for tomorrow. Solid C. That feels more like a investment ad. Yep. Speed thrills, but kills. I'd uh, be plus. Don't be gamma in the land of llama. I'm going to give that one an F. <laughs> I like that one. You like that one? Well, all right. So I had to look. The Urban Dictionary says that a gamma is a person with an incredible amount of respect, either by being a good fighter, wrestler, or just a cool person and a person well-respected by peers. Okay. So, there you go. On the bend, go slow, friend. Ah, uh, D+. Plus. <laughs> After whiskey, driving risky. 
A minus. I like that bad. one. That's a that's, good one. That's good. They should say that after whiskey, uh, everything is risky. <laughs> uh, life is short. Don't make it shorter. Eh, B minus. Three enemies of road, liquor, speed, and overload. No. F. <laughs> not as much funny. Fail. But it's more straight on than funny, right? Accidents do not happen. They are caused. Oh, that's good, man. Well, guns, that's guns don't kill people. That's a <laughs> <laughs> B plus. Start early, drive slowly, reach safely. I see. Always alert, accident avert. No. F. No, you don't no, like that no, one? No, 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 no. That, I think that's going for the drowsy driver. Too many words. Yeah. Just too many. In, no. And finally, for safe arriving, no liquor driving. B, B minus, B minus. My favorite two, don't be silly in the hilly, and don't be a gamma in the land of llama. Gamma, llama, whatever. Those those are my, you know, because I've never heard of a gamma. I have heard of a llama. The more you know. (laughs) I don't think any of these writers, though, are going to be hired by Hallmark to write cards. (laughs) No, certainly not. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks again for uh, being here and enjoying our little podcast. We'll be here again next week with another fine and lovely episode. So until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. I'm Mr. Gama, Joseph Peters. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.